Pauline. This is JLL once again. Remember me? I'm that stranger who stalks your sanity. And I'm here on the 19th of April, 2023, with a PSA, a public sanity alert. Now this talk comes out of the blue. I'm actually on the verge of moving in a new direction with a new series of talks. And this is not one of them, but in a certain way, it serves as an introduction due to the fact that it treats the topic of AI, AGI, and all the other acronyms. It treats the question of fear-mongering around the presence and ultimate effects of AI in the human world, okay? So AI, or as I want to say, the AI apocalypse, there's a hashtag, will probably be the leading theme of any talks after this one. But for right now, completely out of the blue, I had to stand up here this morning in front of the machine and create a virtual replication of my voice to tell you, to the best of my ability, what's behind the current big scare about AI. A few years back, 2017 to be exact, when I dedicated eight months to decoding the Mandela effect, I pointed out something which is perfectly obvious to any sane person of normal or mediocre intelligence, which is that in the world today, in the world drama, the great mass of people living around the world in different countries and situations are all targeted by psyops, different kinds of psyops. And there are any number of psyops coming to you mainly through the media, uh, on any day of the week and any hour of the day. And I can assure you up front that there is a kind of PSYOP working in all the current chatter that suggests or insists that you need to be very, very afraid about what AI can do when it gains agency, when it becomes a GI, or artificial general intelligence. And that is a scaremongering tactic, which operates also as a kind of PSYOP. But to set the stage for what I want to say in this public sanity alert, I'm going to refer to other events which are simultaneous with this one let's say, current in the last few months. For instance, there's a lot of chatter and divisive argument and hyperbole and exaggerated expectations concerning a battle between Biden and Trump. A lot of people get all wrapped up in that one. And notice that I'm talking about a controversy that is divisive. 
division is the central purpose of all psyops. There's always a factor of division because divide and conquer is the MO of the perpetrators. So then you have other things, you know, oh, the latest Pentagon leak, that scandal, the scandal about, what is it called, the Twitter files, how many hours, how many days, how many weeks of a person's life could be involved in the dizzy business of listening to everything about the Twitter files and trying to figure out what happened. And, oh, yes, uh, Twitter was collaborating with three-letter agencies in the government and so forth and so on. You see, these are all mind games. Another example would be the ongoing uh, discussion. It's not a discussion. The ongoing hype and fear-mongering about climate catastrophe. So everyone gets very confused about that. They take sides. Another one is, uh, and this is a powerful one, which uh, it's no coincidence, by the way, that these various prominent psyops, prominent controversies in the media, have all come out at the same time. It is no coincidence that they're all running at the same time. As I hope to show, there is a central unifying and ulterior motive behind all of them coming from a single source. So I'm just giving you a short list here of the mind control programs that are currently running across the planet. And in concluding that, in concluding it, I will add one particularly nefarious one, the weaponization of the transgender debate. So of course the transgender debate has been running for quite a while, but it took a really dangerous turn not too long ago due to an incident of a school shooting, as it's called. And as a result of that incident and the public reaction to it and the way that the public reaction is being managed, it divided people on the issue of violence. On the one hand, you hear about giving weapons to transgender people under special conditions so that they can defend themselves because they are at great risk of what comes to them from the general public. But then on the other hand, you hear the argument that the general public needs to arm themselves against the possibility of... Uh, shooters popping up out of the bushes who happen to be transgender. And this is a terribly divisive and dangerous mind control program and really effective. It was one thing for people to be arguing about the benefits or the bad effects of gender assignment reassignment surgery and things like that and hormones, you know, this is an argument, this is a public debate, no one can evade it or avoid it, it's an important debate. But it was one kind of debate before the shooting incident happened and now it's another kind. It has been compounded with the divisive and incendiary issue 
of gun control versus freedom to bear arms. So there you have it. The transgender theme comes up in that way. And it also comes up in another way. And this is the final item on my short list. And it goes to the core of what I would like to explain and, if possible, reveal in this talk. The controversy about the Bud Light commercial featuring what some would call a female impersonator, what others would call a transgender superstar. Now, I just want to concentrate on one comment, one way of viewing this event, which as far as I can tell is almost universal. Almost everyone who is discussing it from whatever side of the audience seems to be asking this question. How could Anheuser-Busch do anything like that? How could they allow themselves to do that? And as if they were making fun of their own customers. Uh, and how could they possibly take the risk of using a controversial figure like that to promote their product when in fact, the immediate backlash shows exactly the opposite. So if you can believe what the news says, and many commentators on the alternative media also say this, but Light has lost billions of dollars, six, eight billion dollars in just a couple of weeks due to this campaign. And this event baffles many people. And they're trying to dig in and to find out, well, how did this happen? How could they allow this to happen? You know, it reminds me of the Balenciaga scandal at the end of last year, right? Oh, how could the company, how could the executives who oversee advertising and plan everything, how could they possibly let this happen? It must be a huge mistake. No, it's not a mistake at all. See the result, if this is truly the result, of Anheuser-Busch losing billions of dollars of its stock value is exactly what the perpetrators of this mind control attack intended. It's like a controlled demolition of the finances and the economic structure of a huge corporation, and not just any corporation, but a corporation that has been identified, let's face it, for good or worse, with a certain type of American lifestyle. Construction workers drinking Bud Light, fraternity boys. It has an image, it has an iconic image. And the demographics of that image are working class, white Americans. And so I put it to you that like all other attacks, like all other tactics of mind control, there are always several motives at play in a single event. One of the motives here is to actually attack that iconic image 
of America, working class America, and make fun of it and insult it. And on the other hand, and this is principally the point I want you to see, it's simply a ploy, it's a charade that allows the perpetrators to perform a controlled demolition of the finances of that corporation. So it's not a mistake. And when they lose, when the company loses six or eight billion dollars worth of stock value, well, that's exactly what was intended. So don't be baffled, man, don't be fooled. And don't go around waving your hands in the air, asking how on earth could they ever done such an obviously self-destructive thing. Now, have you heard anyone else say that? I haven't. I haven't heard anyone else take this observation, this point of view on the Bud Light fiasco. But in order to, uh, let's say, highlight the rather unique angle that I am taking, how about this? I submit to you that the intended effect of that Bud Light fiasco is not only to insult and destroy the iconic image of the American working class, but it's also intended or part of a plan that intends to destroy the means of livelihood of that very same demographic group. So there is a nefarious financial motive operating behind that event, as well as there is behind the fear-mongering about AI. So I take an entirely different view about that event and why it happened. Different, as far as I know, from what anyone else is saying. And while we're on the topic of financial control demolition, let me add another item to the short list. Now, I can't cite the names exactly, but the news came out not too long ago that there were two or three big banks in California that were crashing. And it so happens, and this is the key point, that these were banks whose transactions and investors and depositors were deeply involved with Silicon Valley. They were banks that were deeply involved with the the science and technology of IT. And the government came in, the U.S. government, which is just an agency for the ultimate perpetrators here, who are the central bankers, put that in quote, call them the central banksters, okay? Well, they know everything about how finance works country by country and across the globe, and you don't know nothing about what they're doing because they do it all in secret in a boardroom. And I submit to you that the collapse of those 
large banks in California deeply embedded in the business of developing and selling IT and startup companies and robotics and all of that was totally intentional. They were created by the central banksters and run by them so that they could be demolished. And they have been demolished, and yet there has been a program which the world is supposed to uh, view, you are supposed to view this program of rescuing those banks because they're too big to fail, and that is also an enormous charade. Those banks, like thousands of others around the world in the big economic game, are like fake banks. They're like deep fake banks. They really don't really exist in solid terms relating to goods and services. They are what you could say uh, virtual deceptions. And those banks, the banksters who manage this whole program, the financiers at the global level, they create and destroy those banks in a godlike fashion, and they do indeed consider themselves to be gods, as uh, the one-time head of the uh, Federal Reserve Bank in America famously said. He considered himself to be doing God's work. What he really wanted to say was that he's, he is God, and he's doing his work. And this is how they view themselves, and they have godlike powers. So they can create and destroy these banks out of nothing. But why would they do that? What's behind that whole charade? Well, it has a number of immediate or obvious effects. It scares people, and that's good. And it also creates financial instability, doubt, speculation, and that's good because they can profit from all that, you see. So there's a lot of benefits for them in being able to create these deep fake banks and then destroy them. And I just want to add this observation. I can't quote sources because I'm too lazy to go back and look. But one of the observations that came up in one of these hundreds and hundreds of YouTube commentaries about the dangers of AI went like this. The individual who was uh, I wouldn't say necessarily fear-mongering, but attempting to explain what's dangerous about AI, said, well, it's going to be dangerous to these various sectors of life, sectors of livelihood and businesses, and which businesses is it going to be most dangerous to, and which businesses will it be less dangerous to if it continues to evolve along this path which presumably leads it to become autonomous and self-directed. And guess what they said? Guess what this man said? That was at the top of the affairs that would be threatened by AI. He said the system of central banking. Now, when I heard that, I stood up on my tiptoes like a little prairie dog out there 
in the deserts of Nevada, sniffing the wind. And I thought that was such a brilliant observation, but I'm going to spin it for you to my interpretation. Well, of course, AI gone mad, all these new tools and these powers of AI and AGI present a field day for hacking and fraud. And if you think that the enormous possibilities of faking, hacking, and fraud, which come out of the current iteration of AI, are going to threaten central banking, well, you're not quite seeing it correctly. Of course they will. But on the other hand, they will serve to the ultimate purposes of those who run central banking. And how can that be so? Well, look back to what I just said. Central banking is a charade. It's all fraud anyway. And so they create one kind of fraud, the central banksters. They orchestrate one kind of fraud so they can commit another kind of fraud behind it. And this is what is happening. There is an ultimate act of fraud in the making. And it's connected with AI and it's connected with the global network of central banking. And obviously it would be. Why? Because they run the banking system on AI. Now, if you think that some renegades and hackers are going to get control of AI and they're going to go and take down the central banking system, you need to think again. Because if anybody's going to take down the central banking system, Guess who it's going to be? The central bankers. If you don't get any other point from the talk, from this talk, I strongly urge you to take that one on board. So you see now how the meltdown at Anheuser-Busch is indicative. It reveals what's happening in the greater scheme of things. And it's not the only company that that's going to happen to. Now, I'll give you another clue. And again, I can't cite sources, but I heard this in some of the commentary about banking problems in the United States. And again, my prairie dog instincts really picked up strongly on this one. Apparently, there are people who represent central banking and who represent the interface between central banking and the big corporations. They're all the same usual gang of suspects. And well, they were talking about protocols that uh, are now going through the so-called governmental machine in the United States. And they cited the example of those banks that collapsed in California, which I just described. And they said, well, these new protocols, which are, they're going to put into law, you know what that means. Uh, these new protocols have to be structured in a certain way. Oh, how's that? Well, you see, the government, which is just another arm of the central bankster criminal mafia, 
uh, the government uh, has to step in and uh, take measures to secure the danger and uh, lessen the risk. And how are they going to do that? Well, the government has decided on the basis of getting advice from the masterminds of financial expertise in the world, of course, uh, they've decided that it's really only fitting and beneficial to bail out and save and rescue big banks, but which become insolvent. But, oh, wait a minute, if that were to happen like with smaller regional banks, like the one that I use in the United States, uh, they wouldn't do that. This is a message that they're putting out. You may as well translate it into what it says. It says, hey, you, average working class and even upper middle class management Americans of all races and creeds, you know, uh, yeah, this looks like there's going to be some serious uh, financial demolitions coming up. We won't tell you that they're controlled demolitions like we didn't say about you-know-what. Uh, but in order to uh, face this danger and make things better for you, we're going to concentrate and put into law procedures for saving only the biggest institutions. And if it happens to happen to your local bank, your regional bank, in your uh, state or in the area of the country where you live, well, too fucking bad, because we're not going to do anything about that. This is an open threat, and this threat is consistent with what I am calling the ultimate hidden ulterior motive behind these other psyops. You see, these other psyops are largely there, or they serve one purpose, always, faithfully. They misdirect and they distract. So you can already see the upcoming tsunami of distraction around, is it going to be Biden? Is it going to be Trump? Or who is it going to be? This is a huge distraction. You know, someone famously said, if voting made any difference, you wouldn't be allowed to vote. And if you go and read what Henry Ford wrote in the 1920s, you can see the fact-based argument he presents, namely that the presidents of the United States and the Congress and the Federal Reserve Bank have all been in the hands of alien parties for well over a century now. And those alien parties are working themselves toward a huge financial strike. Now, when I say that they create misdirection and distraction, when I say that they use certain frauds to conceal other frauds and keep them in the background, you might well wonder, well, what the hell is going on and how can anybody get to the core of all this? And I can tell you that you probably can't. 
and neither can I. You see, at the core of all this is one simple activity, financial engineering. And financial engineering is mated now with AI technology because that's the tool that is used to run the global financial networks, correct? And the problem with financial engineering, well, there are many problems, but the main problems are twofold. In the first place, and I can put myself in the same category, it's not within the range of interest or even capacity of the average person to know how the economy works. I can remember very well once back on a beautiful day in Santa Fe, I was living outside of Santa Fe with my girlfriend, Catherine, and we got in her old Mercedes, which we called Sadie, and to drive into town, have a wonderful time in Santa Fe. And uh, on the way into town, there was a lovely Mexican cafe, and right across from it, there were two gas pumps. And we were low, so we needed to put gas in the car to get into town and back home. And I remember that was the day that we noticed those little tabs that move in the old pumps, mechanical tabs. And the price of a gallon had gone up, I think, from 21 to 23 cents. So there I am, an American boy, working class. I look at that, I register, and I had no idea why that happened. I don't understand how the economy works. You know, a society, a community, a nation, or a state consisting of citizens who don't understand how their economy works, well, they're in deep, deep trouble. So that's the first part of the problem. But the second part is, even if you did understand how it works, and there's been a lot of research to expose the nefarious tactics of uh, global banksters, all right? But even if you did know, ultimately you could not know due to secrecy. You see, everything they do at the top of the pyramid of world financial control is done in extreme secrecy. They have their meetings in boardrooms. You can bet that there were some banksters some investors, probably even some IT specialists, advisors, and accountants who all met in a boardroom somewhere and they planned the controlled demolition of Anheuser-Busch. And they deliberately set in motion the series of events that led to the release of that advertising campaign. And by the way, while I'm on the subject of advertising, if I haven't said enough already, may I, as your strange friend out there in the virtual, advise you that all of advertising is fraud. It's all a complete Ponzi scheme. We are led to believe, I have been led to believe, that this is the way it works. Here's a corporation, and they have a product like jeans, or shampoo, or beer. And they have a team 
in their corporate structure that is totally dedicated to advertising. And it's an enormous team of people who fabricate these advertisements. And once the concept of the advertisement has been uh, agreed upon, then they need to get the film crew, they need to script it. It's an enormous project that costs them a lot of money, you might suppose. And then what happens? So they've got a new ad ready, a 30-second ad for a car or a gadget, an accessory of some kind, a hairdryer, whatever, a new food, a new snack. It doesn't matter. They take the advertising tool, the ad, once it's ready, and then they turn around. Have you heard this before? (laughs) And they presumably pay people to broadcast their ad. So they pay for their ad to appear in magazines, newspapers, to appear all over the media and sports events and all these horrible intrusive ads uh, on the internet, ads on YouTube, everywhere. These ads are there so that the corporations producing the products to be sold can get customers. Right? You follow this so far. Now what happens next? Well, presumably, uh, the customers respond to the ads because they're so persuasive and they're so slick, and they turn around and go out and buy the product, which, lacking the ad, they wouldn't buy. Or lacking the ad, they might not be inclined to buy. And so, therefore... The revenues from the consumers who respond to the ad goes back to the corporation that produced both the ad and the product. Right? You ever heard that story before? You ever like worked that out in your mind? That's complete nonsense. It actually doesn't work that way at all. I'm sure it doesn't. Now it might work that way in certain limited instances. For instance, if I'm living in a city and I have a a woodworking shop or I have a a family business and when I advertise within the realm, within the region of that city, within the immediate area, to just to let people know that I'm there and what I do, hey, come on in and look at what I do and if you want to buy something, fine, then it might be said that the money that I would spend in getting out the ad would be compensated by the revenues coming from the people who respond to the ad. It's reasonable, it makes sense, but that is not what happens in advertising on the grand scale. I ask you to imagine this scene up there on the top floors of the pyramid, several floors down from the office where the executive decisions are made, which nobody in the world ever really knows, uh, are the bean counters and the accountants. And so here's a room of the accountants who are keeping track of all the money they have to spend to create an ad, right? And there's an accounting record. Then over here in another room on the same floor, there's the office of those who watch the revenues. 
And so they're in a position using graphs and things of that sort to say, hey, look, we put out this ad uh, at the beginning of May, and here we are counting beans uh, a quarter later. And look, look at that chart. Look at the look at the peak. We can actually see that we got the intended result. We did, lo and behold, achieve increased revenues and sales proportionate to the expense of the ads intended to create those sales. That is complete nonsense. It doesn't work that way at all. Both the money that they spend on ads and the money that goes to the media that produces those ads is part of an enormous shell game. It's just a way to move money around. There is no real and consistent and reliable relationship between the amount of money expended on ads and the revenues produced by those ads. There isn't. Now, maybe some financial mastermind can come on and refute me and make fun of me, but I'm just giving you my personal opinion. I have always hated advertising. I've always found it from my childhood to be something repulsive. And I can't say that there's any instance in my life when I ever bought anything due to seeing it being advertised, really, honestly. So what's it all about and how can I wrap it up? I bring your attention to my main premise. Behind everything that is going on now and all these mind control tactics have the same purpose, which to incite fear, right? So behind the fear about weaponization of the transgender debate, fear about AI taking down the human race, fear about what's at stake in the new election, fear about Pentagon links, fear about climate catastrophe, all of these are derivative mind control games. And they serve particular purposes, yes, as I've tried to explain, but they also serve the general purpose of misdirecting, distracting, and confusing the masses and even savvy people so that no one gets to look at the fraud behind the fraud. So it's my opinion that this is what is behind the current big scare about AI. Now, if I continue with a new direction in talks that I put on YouTube, I will go to the specific topic of fear-mongering about AI, and I will take it apart and tear it apart by the seams. And you might find that insightful or even entertaining. Well, I don't know. Stranger things have happened. And who's to say if I'm making sense or not? It's my personal opinion. I'm not an expert in 
finance or IT or politics. But one thing I will ask you to consider, has any, have you heard anyone else talking about the Bud Light fiasco who explains it in the way that I do here? Enough said. <laughs>